0: Good morning, it's kind of a long scoop wasn't it, I felt like I was standing up here in the dark for a long time, <clears throat> probably could have waited, um, my name's Dustin, I'm on staff here at South Point, um, everything we do at South Point is for the purpose of trying to get everyone to experience God's unconditional love, we believe that God is for everyone, we believe that he's trying to connect with each and every one of us and we believe that His Unconditional love is experienced through the person of Jesus Christ, and so everything we do as a church is with that goal in mind to point point people towards Jesus with the hopes that they will get to experience God's unconditional love. Uh, Right now we are in a series that we are calling The Light of Christmas, and our approach to this is a little bit different. We aren't going through the normal Christmas, nativity, baby Jesus, Mary and Joseph narrative. We are staying in the book of John that we have been reading This entire year. And so we're reading John chapter 1, and in John chapter 1, uh, the writer paints this picture of how Jesus is God, and He is light, and He is life. It's just this amazing picture of who Jesus is and what He's come to do. And so we're going to stay in that book of John chapter 1. Now, I have a son. If you guys didn't know, his name is Camden, and he is seven years old. And I love this kid so much. He's kind hearted, he's funny, he's curious, he's family oriented. I mean, he blows me away every day. I can't imagine life without him. Now, Camden, like a lot of kids, is afraid of the dark. He doesn't like going upstairs at nighttime if the light's not on. He doesn't like being in his room by himself if there's not a nightlight on, if doors are left open and it's dark and you can't really see in. He gets uncomfortable and scared, and maybe you can relate, right? Maybe you have kids who are afraid of the dark, or maybe just you yourself are uncomfortable in the dark. Even if Not then my guess is you probably hate being left in the dark, this feeling that everyone else knows something or or people just are not including you and you're left on your own in the dark. We hate that feeling. That's uncomfortable. And I think the reason why the dark is uncomfortable is because the dark is is accompanied by uncertainty. That is to say, we don't know what's in the dark. We can't see what's happening in the dark. We don't like it. And so this morning we're going to be in John chapter 1, um, and we're going to be starting at verse 9, so if you have your Bibles you can open up to that. John chapter 1 starting at verse 9, and we're going to be talking about light. We're going to be talking specifically about what the writer John calls true light, because if there's one thing we can be sure of, it's that the uncertainty of what may be in the dark, that uncertainty completely goes away the second the light comes on. And so let's pray, and then we're going to jump into John chapter 1. God... We just come before you, and we just want to experience your love. We want to experience who you are. We want to get a clear picture of who Jesus is, and we know that's only possible if we focus on you. And so, God, I pray that you block out any distractions. I know that you're already in this place. I pray that you allow us to be present with you. I pray that these words aren't just words, but they're actually a way for us to connect directly with you. God, will you please speak to us through your word? We love you so much. In Jesus' name, amen. So John chapter 1 starting at verse 9 says this, it says, the true light which gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world and the world was made through him yet the world did not know him. He came to his own and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. True light. That's how John words it. True light. Now this word true, if you look at it in the Greek, it, it means exactly what it means in English. It's just real, genuine, authentic. And so John's trying to point out to us that there is a true light, which means John is also implying that there are things that aren't true light. And in this life, there are things that we get offered to us as light that they aren't the true light. I mean, there are things that are portrayed to the world as light, meaning it will give us fulfillment, enlightenment. If you lean into this, if you accept this, if you follow this, it'll bring you freedom and joy and peace. You know, philosophy has been touted to be the light. Different religions, different teachings, different people have claimed to be the light, but the truth is there's only one light. There's only one light, And it's not our opinions. Our opinions aren't the light, thank God. And our thoughts are not the light. And our feelings are not the light. Our words are not the light. There's so many things in the world that claim to be the light, but the truth that cuts through all that noise is that there's only one light, and that light is Jesus. Jesus is the true light. Now, as human beings, you know, life is mysterious. We wake up in the morning, and, and we go about our day, and then at night we retire to our beds and then we wake up in the morning and we go about our day and then at night we retire to our beds and our our life is lived in routine a lot of times and we don't think too much about it and then sometimes I think we have moments where we take a step back and we try to evaluate like what's actually happening right now like you ever have those moments where you start thinking too hard about life and it's like "Ah, I don't like that like why are we here you know what's my purpose Why did this happen to me or why didn't this happen to me? How can I be happy? How can I be fulfilled? And I think for a lot of people, they end up living their entire lives and they have some good experiences, but then I think they die without ever really having answered any of these questions. And so you can consider for these types of people that to a certain degree, they live their lives in the dark without fully understanding the purpose of it all, and then they die in the dark, and no one wants to die in the dark. But you see, the only way you can step out of the dark and begin to unravel the mystery and purpose of this life, the only way to get out of that is to step into the light, and that light is found in the person of Jesus. And when you do step into the light, everything changes because light is powerful. Light is powerful. Now, were you aware that all Scripture points directly at Jesus? We've said this before. All Scripture can testify to us about who Jesus is and what Jesus does. And if you go back and read the very beginning of the Bible, the very beginning of the creation story, the way it's described in Genesis 1-2, the way everything is described is formless, dark, and void. Formless, dark, and void. There's no structure. There's no meaning. There's no purpose. It's just empty. It's you sitting up in your bed at 2 a.m. pondering the universe and everything behind it and not being able to really come to any real, acceptable, satisfiable answers. It's formless and dark and void. And then in the next verse, God says what? He says, Let there be light. And all at once, structure begins to take hold. And things begin to make sense and life begins to emerge and love begins to emerge. This is what happens when the light comes on. The creation story, at the beginning of the Bible, it paints this perfect picture of what happens when God shines a light In the darkness. It's a picture also of what happens when Jesus shines his light on our lives. In John chapter eight, verse twelve, Jesus says this says again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Jesus literally says, Follow me and you won't walk in darkness. I'll turn the light on. I help you make sense of this life and the meaning behind all of it. And I think this is good news. I think this is something we should be excited about, that Jesus shining his light on our life will make things begin to make sense. It will give us a hope and a peace. But I think for some of us sitting here, it's not necessarily just enough for Jesus to say that his light will make it make sense. And for practical people, we want to know how. How, Jesus, how is your light going to do this? How is your light going to fix things? How is your light going to make things make sense? And I think really there are two ways that Jesus' light functions in our life. Two primary ways, and I just want to look at those both this morning. And I want to start first um, in Ephesians chapter 5, and and Paul verbalizes one of the ways in which light functions, and he says it like this. In Ephesians chapter 5, Paul says, but when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. When anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. So how does the light that is Jesus work? What's the first way that it functions? The first way is that the light exposes what is hidden. The light exposes what is hidden. It takes the unknown and it makes it known. And if you're in this place and you've ever had an encounter with Jesus... If you've ever made that decision to give your life to him, maybe you were sitting in this room or a room like this or at a conference or something or, or you were watching something on TV or listening to the radio or maybe just alone in your house reading scripture. But if you've ever had a moment where it was like the stars align and you got this glimpse of Jesus and who he is and how powerful and amazing and good he is, if that's ever happened to you, then you understand that your world was shattered in that moment in the most beautiful way possible. It was like a light came on. And I think for at least a period of time, if you've experienced this, I think some of the things that we used to depend on for satisfaction and fulfillment, I think for a period of time, not only did they not fulfill you any, anymore, but they actually maybe lost their appeal altogether or maybe even disgusted you. Whether it was like an app on your phone or a certain show that you watched or a band or like a relationship with a person or a type of website or a substance or some other kind of vice something that you found yourself running to frequently trying to find satisfaction or identity even though it never really fulfilled you but you couldn't you kept going back to that time and time again but when you looked at Jesus it was like your brain was rearranged and you know I think it wasn't even really Jesus himself I don't think he physically goes in and like forces our priorities around but I think it's more of a consequence when you look at Jesus and how good he is it changes you. It changes what you desire. It changes what satisfies you. It transforms how you see the world. It transforms how you interact with the world. And the things that you once craved, the things that were hurting you, they begin to lose their appeal the longer you look at Jesus. And I think there's a possibility that for some of us, I think there's, there's a possibility that we don't even really acknowledge how toxic and destructive these things or people can be on our life that these things can be hidden even from us, that we can't even see it until Jesus shines his light right on your life and reveals it to you because you see the light exposes what is hidden. Think of it this way. If you grew up your entire life eating only junk, eating only things that like tore up your body and made you sick and unhealthy, well, guess what? If you've done that your entire life, then for your entire life you've been sick and unhealthy without even really realizing it. It's all you've ever known but if there were to come a day when you were exposed to a home-cooked meal that was not only delicious, but like fulfilling and actually good for your body, well, it's going to be really hard to go back to eating junk after you've had what's good. And there's a moment in your life, if you've given your life to Jesus, or maybe you're in a moment right now, there was a point in your life where you're gorging yourself on junk. Where you're filling your life with stuff that's destroying your insides, but I think we can't even fully recognize this is happening until we become exposed to the light. I think we have to look at Jesus. We can't diagnose ourselves. We can't fix ourselves. The only way to really reveal what's going on in our hearts is to look at Jesus, and he reveals that for us. The truth is, the longer you stay looking anywhere else but Jesus, the more comfortable you're going to become with that the more satisfied you're going to become with the junk. You walk around in this like hazy, like dream-like state. It's like you're sleepwalking, like you've forgotten or not even recognize it. There's a life that's being offered to you that is so much more than whatever junk you've settled for. And the truth is we don't have to settle for junk, and we don't even have to settle for mediocre because what Jesus offers is so much more. And so the light exposes what is hidden, Looking at Jesus helps us see our own brokenness. It helps us understand that we need a Savior. Looking at Jesus doesn't make you a good person. I think it makes you realize that you'll never be a good person. Paul verbalizes it a few times in Scripture. He says in Romans, he says, The good things that I want to do, I don't do. And all the bad things that I keep trying so hard not to do, I keep doing them. The good things that I want to do, I don't do them. The bad things that I don't want to do, I keep doing them. Relatable Bible verses for a thousand, anyone? (laughs) The truth is, the closer I get to God, the more I recognize how broken I am and how much I need Him. The closer I get to Him, the more I recognize how much I need Him. But you see, recognizing your own brokenness, that's only one piece of the equation. And it's not enough to recognize that we need a Savior you actually have to bring him your junk and let him deal with it. Later in John's life, if you didn't know, he penned multiple books of the Bible. And later in his life, in First John, this, this theme of light comes up again. And this is what John writes later in his life. He says, this is the message we have heard from him and proclaimed to you. That God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us all from sin. So this brings us to the second way that the light functions, the second thing that light does, and that's that light dispels darkness. Light destroys darkness. Light eradicates darkness. Where the light is, the darkness can't be there. And that's how Jesus functions when he steps into your life. You see, we even sing a song that says, Jesus, you make the darkness tremble. When Jesus steps into your life, the darkness has to leave. But the thing about Jesus is that Jesus is not going to force his way into your life and into your situation. Jesus says, I stand at the door and knock. He doesn't say... I kick the door down and force my way into your life. And so you have to invite him into your situation. And if you don't, he's not going to force his way in. If you decide that you're never going to step into the light, you know, Jesus will never stop inviting you, he'll never stop pursuing you, but he's not going to force your hand. And I think here's the truth human beings were very good at lying. ourselves and to other people we're very good at lying we're so proficient at hiding our struggles and hiding our junk and just putting on the face and like coming here and putting on the church show and so I'm very much aware because I've done it myself that anyone can just come in here and pretend like everything's all right and you can tell me that you're good and you're not struggling with anything and I'm aware that you could be just flat out lying to me you know you can lie to me And you can lie to your friends and your family. You can lie to anyone else in your life and say you're fine while battling things in the dark that people don't see about. But the truth is you can't lie to God. And I promise you that the longer you keep things in the dark, the longer you try to fight those things on your own, or the longer you try to hide those things from other people, the more they're just going to eat you alive. See, because that's what sin does. And I know sin is not fun to talk about. But that's why sin is so dangerous. You know, we're not just talking about breaking some rules that God has set out for our life. We are talking about poisoning our own lives. We're talking about pretending to live one way or even maybe even desiring to live one way but finding ourselves walking another way. And listen, I'm not going to sit up here and give you guys some Big speech about how your sin is going to send you to hell, even though that's true without Jesus. But I'm not going to get into that because I think there are people who feel like, "Ah, I'll deal with that when I get there. You know, I have time, I'll figure it out. But I'm not even saying that to you, even though it's true. I'm actually telling you that your sin and what is hiding in the dark corners of your life, I'm telling you that can derail your life right now. I'm telling you that junk, it can leak into your relationships. It can leak into your interactions, into your worldview, into your mental health, into your spiritual health, and it will, one, rampant in your heart as long as it stays in the dark. You know, there's a reason why God hates our sin so much, and we think it's because we let him down, or because we weren't listening like disobedient kids. What the truth is, God hates your sin because your sin is killing you. And don't hear me say this with a tone of judgment. Because I'm probably more messed up than you. And I'm not even just saying that. That's probably true. You know, I have fought battles in the dark and thought that I could hide it and pretend that I was good and come and play the church game. And I'm telling you, it just, it doesn't work. It doesn't work. But I get it, right? I get the desire to do that because who wants to come face to face with their own junk? You know, if I talk about it, if I, if I let someone in, my struggles, if this somehow gets out, man, what are people going to think about me? God must be so angry with me. If I can just... If I can be honest with you, I don't think God is angry at you for your sin. I don't. You know, I know for a fact that, that God loves you, and he's crazy about you, and I truly believe that God wants what's best for our lives, and I believe that that's why he's instructed us to live a certain way and offer his light to us so we can experience the life that he's dreamed for us. And so I don't think that God is angry at you when you sin. I actually think when we're secretly fighting these battles in the dark, I think it just breaks God's heart. Because when you're trying to fulfill yourself and find joy in things that will never satisfy you, you're actually hurting yourself. You're setting yourself up to be let down. And these things that can never fulfill you when you gorge yourself on that junk it'll just make you sick Now, I heard this pastor named Brad Tate share this story a few years ago and this story honestly will stick with me forever now this pastor's wife she worked as a social worker in the foster care system she she helped connect kids to permanent homes or foster homes and and one day the 17 year old girl walks into her office And she's had a relationship with this girl. She knows who she is. She's known her for a couple years. But this 17-year-old girl walks into her office and begins expressing concern. She begins expressing worry about aging out of the system because she's going to be turning 18 soon. And in their state, when you turn 18, you're no longer eligible for pretty much all the programs and services and supports that they offer to minors. And so this girl's terrified, and she didn't know what she was going to do. And she'd had no real guidance over her life. She just bounced around from foster home to foster home, and she doesn't know what's going to happen, but she's come to this harsh realization that she's about to be homeless. And so this pastor's wife, she felt this overwhelming sense of love and responsibility for the girl, and she goes home to her husband, and she, she tells her husband, hey, we have to take her in. We have to. And so they did. They, they let this girl move into their house. They took her in. They set her up in the basement. They gave her her own room dresser, bed, the whole, the whole deal. And one day, you know, a few weeks go by and things seem to be going well, but one day the pastor, he has a day off and um, he decides he's going to go downstairs to the basement. He's going to play video games on the other side of the basement or watch a movie or something. And when he gets about halfway down the stairs, the smell hits him in the face. And this is a smell he's never really smelled before, but, you know, he can tell that something's not right, something's off. And the girl's at school during the day, and so he goes and he grabs his wife and he tells his wife, hey, we we have to figure out what the smell is. And so they start looking around to try to find the source of the smell, and they're going around the basement. And eventually, the pastor's wife opens up the bottom drawer of one of the dressers, and back in the corner right beside her clothes is old food. Not like Doritos or Oreos or Takis, but like mashed potatoes and chicken from like days ago, like multiple nights ago, and it's just sitting there in her drawer next to her clothes, and it's like molding and rotting, and it's it's just disgusting. and And so they waited for the girl to come home, and they they sat down with her, and they're like, Hey, you know, it's not a big deal, but uh, we just we, we smelled the smell, and we looked around, and we found this food, and You know, if it's all right, if you could just keep the food in the kitchen so we don't get bugs or mice or anything, that would be awesome. And the girl understood, and she apologized, and they moved on. Well, a few weeks go by, and the pastor goes downstairs again, and he smells it again, the same rotten smell. And so the pastor, you know, he grabs his wife, and and they go searching, but this time it wasn't in her dresser. It was actually in the back corner of her closet, old food from like nights ago. And so they wait for the girl, and, and when she gets home, they they sit down with her, and they just ask her like, hey, what's going on? What's the deal with the food? And the girl just breaks it down. She just loses it, and starts sobbing, and apologizing, and crying, and she goes on to tell this pastor and his wife about one of the foster homes that she spent time in. And in this foster home, this family they didn't let her eat their food. The only food that she was allowed to eat was the food that they bought with her check from the state, which wasn't very much. And then when her food ran out, she wouldn't have any more food until the next month because they didn't let her eat their food. And so what she got in the habit of doing was hiding food. So on the nights when hunger pains would keep her awake at night or when she couldn't sleep, she would go to her stash of disgusting food, and she would eat it, just so she could have something. And when the pastor and his wife, they hear the girl's story, they're not angry at her, right? Their hearts are broken for her. That another family would hurt her so bad that they couldn't, or that she couldn't just trust that they would actually care for her, she couldn't trust that they would provide for her, that she felt like she needed to hide something away and so they sat with her, and they, they cried with her until she's able to calm down, and then they, they just tell her, the pastor and his wife, they tell her, like, please understand, you don't have to do this. You don't have to eat junk. You don't have to settle for this. Like, we're going to take care of you, and we're going to love you, and we're going to give you everything that you need. Literally, everything that's ours is yours, and you can have it all. You don't have to do that anymore. And I'd love to be able to tell you that that was the end of the story, but about a month goes by, and happening again and and the pastor and his wife they're not angry their hearts are broken for the girl why can't you just trust us why can't you just believe us when we say we're going to take care of you when we tell you we're going to love you why can't you believe that and you see I think that's how God sees us and so I don't know what you're dealing with and I don't know what's going on in your life right now. I don't know what you're battling against, but what I do know is that so many of us are just hiding away junk and filth, and we think that we can hide it from everyone, but it just festers and it gets worse. All the while, Jesus is pleading for us, I have something better for you, and I can take care of you, and I can give you what you need, and you don't have to do that. We think we can hide away crumbs of lust or sexual desire, and Jesus says, I have actual love for you, and you don't have to settle for that junk. I have love for you. Or we're hiding away crumbs of ego or pride or self-worth and struggling with our own image. And Jesus is saying, I have an actual identity for you. And you don't have to try to be somebody, because what I've done will make you somebody. I'll make you a child of God. Or we'll silently struggle and fight on our own and not tell anyone that we think we might have depression or anxiety. And I'm not going to tell anyone, because what will they think? And the world says you need to be tougher. And Jesus is crying out, you don't have to be tougher. I have real peace and hope for you. Don't you see that? God isn't angry at you for your struggles. His heart is broken for you because he wants something better for you. And his light will dispel darkness, but you have to be willing to bring your junk into the light. John goes on to say this. He says, if we say we have no sin we deceive ourselves. If we sit in these seats and pretend like there's nothing going on, I'm actually pretty good. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Unrighteousness And the key word is confess. If we confess our sins, we have to own our junk. We have to be honest. At some point, We have to be willing to go into our closet and take out whatever it is and just bring it to God and say, here it is, God. This is what I've been up to. This is who I've been and I don't want to be this anymore, but here it is. I own it. And you know that takes trust, I know that. It takes trust and believing that God's not going to be angry at you and God's not going to punish you, but he's actually going to cleanse you and purify you and make you new And give you a new life. And listen, this has nothing to do with being a good person. We have to let this idea and this chase and this pursuit of being a good person, we have to let that mess go. We have to let that charade go. I think the worst thing that we can pretend pretend to do is pretend to be good on the outside while inside we're being wrecked with something and we're fighting stuff that people don't see. You know, I think that's a picture that's far too common in the church. And in case we haven't figured it out yet, it just doesn't work that leads to more hurt. And so the question is, do you trust that God's going to give you what you need when you come to him? Do you believe that he's going to take care of you? Do you believe that you could actually be purified, that you could be made new? Do you believe that Jesus is enough, that he's better than the junk? And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to invite the band up here, and, and we honestly, we just did something similar to this a few weeks ago. I know that, but There's nothing really creative or fancy about this, but what I want to do, what I want to ask you to do right now is I want you to take, there's a card, there should be an index card in the seat in front of you. I want you, or if you're in the front row under your seat or the back under your seat, and I want you to take the card out. And what I want you to do is I just want to spend a few minutes, I want to spend a moment and just confess and just be honest. I'm not going to ask you to talk or confess or spill your guts to the person next to you. Just with this sheet of paper in front of you, I'm going to ask you to take a pen and whatever it is that you're dealing with in your life, big, small, something that doesn't seem like a big deal, something that is like really invading your life, I'm going to ask you to write that down on that index card and then I'm going to ask you to pray about it. I'm going to ask you to actually take it to God and, and pray about this issue. And then after you do that, I'm going to ask you to, after you finish praying, I'm going to have these lights set up on the side of the stage. And after you write this thing down, whatever it is that you've been dealing with, I'm going to ask you to bring that forward after you've prayed about it, after you've talked to God about it, I'm going to ask you to drop it into this basket and drop it into the light. And listen, these lights are not magical. There's nothing, you know, specifically special about them. But I think actually owning our stuff and writing stuff down and standing up and being willing to say, yeah, I am dealing with something. I'm not perfect right now. And drop that in the light. I think it makes a difference for us in our hearts and in our life. And so I'm going to ask you to do that. And I'm not going to tell you that no one's going to read them because our church staff, we want to pray for you and we want to pray over what you're dealing with and so just our church staff just a few of us we're going to read over these and we're going to pray for these and we're going to pray for you and you don't have to write your name down on it but you can if you want to we want to pray for you and if you feel like you're dealing with something that needs more than prayer you can write down your name or uh, a phone number or email or something and someone from our staff will reach out to you and we'll make time for you We don't need to give advice or anything, even if it's just to hear you out, even if it's just to let you get something out. And if you want to do that, you can write that on the card. And I understand this is something that can feel uncomfortable, and I also understand that when God is trying to do something in us, I know the enemy is trying to undo that, and so I'm sure there are people in here who have a voice in their head that are saying, don't you dare write that down. Don't even think about it. But I truly believe that if we confess our sins, that Jesus will cleanse us and purify us and forgive us. And then after you do that, we have communion around. And so, you know, if you drop that off, or even if you don't, you can grab the bread and the juice. And this literally represents what Jesus had to do to be a light that all we had to do was step into to be cleansed. So I'm going to pray, then we can begin that process. Let's pray together. Jesus, we just thank you for who you are. We thank you for what you've done for us. And we just acknowledge that we are sinners. And no matter how long we've been chasing after you, no matter how long we've been in the church, we'll never completely get it right. And it's so easy to get derailed and get caught up in this thing or that thing. And something that seems small turns big. And before we know it, we're in a place that we never wanted to be. And Jesus, that is not the life that you dreamed for us. That is not what you went to a cross to die for. And I'm so thankful that we don't have to fix our own problems. We don't have to try to sort out our own junk. That all you say is own it and bring it to me and I will purify you and I will make you new. God, I pray for every person in this place that if they're struggling, if they're dealing with something, that they're willing to write that down and bring it forward so we can pray for them. And if they need help, that they're willing to reach out because, God, we should not deal with this alone. We aren't equipped to deal with our junk by ourselves. But if we bring it to you, your light dispels all darkness. Jesus, we love you so much. We thank you for who you are and what you've done for us. We pray in your name, in your name alone. Amen.